Welcome, welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. 40K Codex Analysis, List Building, Strategy Development, Game Theory, Mentoring. Our mission, to help you become a better player and to raise the level of the game both on and off the tabletop. Here's your host, Stephen Box. Hey guys, and welcome back to the show. This is episode number 12, and we've got a cracking show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking all things cheating, fair play, and sportsmanship. So today, for this podcast, I've got Jack. How are you doing, Jack? I'm good, Steve. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. And we've also got the one and only Ben Jones. How are you doing, Ben? Hi. Yeah, hi guys. I'm doing well. Yeah, you haven't been on in a while, Ben, have you? No, no. We're very busy. You've been a very busy boy. So, um, yeah, I thought it'd be great to get you back on the show. Just because, obviously, between, I think, both of you two, we've we've probably got the most amount of games under our belt and have got some good stories to tell from this kind of aspect of sportsmanship, cheating, fair play. So we're going to dive into what each of these mean and then... I'm going to throw some scenarios at both of you two because I want to find out what you would do in these situations. So we can hopefully have a bit of fun with this, but the intention of this, obviously, podcast is to help people understand the difference between cheating, fair play, sportsmanship, rules lawyering, rules as intended, rules as as written, and also, more importantly, how you handle those situations and what you should do about it. So what are the processes that we can put in place to help uh, players have a more enjoyable game experience and ultimately encourage people to play the game in the right way. So I I think this should be quite a good show. Um, So I'm going to start off with this first question and I'm going to put this over to you, Jack. might sound silly, but why are rules important? Well, the rules are the fundamental building block of the whole game. It, it, it what makes it uh, work and tick. It's probably why a lot of us uh, enjoy the game because there's so many rules, so much depth to the game, and, um, and that's what makes it a complicated and uh, interesting game to play. Especially when you're edging towards the competitive scene, it's uh, it's a real test of um, your your skills your um, ability to memorize and apply rules at any given time in any different situation. And would you say knowing rules or rules knowledge is a skill in the game? Oh, 100%. It's um, the best players will know most of, you know, a good 80 to 90% of the rules across the entirety of the game, I would suggest, um, to a point where they could probably recite word for word what the stratagems do from different books because there's a lot of um, similarities between the codex and the abilities in the game Um, but yeah having that overall awareness is a critical part to performing well yeah no i'd agree and um, i think this is going to come into some of the aspects later on which we start to talk about so there's there's four main categories when we talk when we start to think about adherence And I prefer the word adherence than I do cheating because cheating can, I think, imply a lot of different aspects. Um, And it can be something that can get banded around a lot. Also, you know, in the wrong place as well. And it can leave a really bad feeling. So I like to think of the word called adherence. I think adherence is, again, it's kind of non-suggestive. But basically, we've got four different categories. And 
each of these categories can either be impactful in the game or it can actually be unimpactful. But that doesn't matter. Both are kind of irrelevant um, and often sometimes people can say, oh, but it didn't matter. Um, well, that doesn't really get you out, get you off the hook just because you did this one thing. So we're going to dive into these in a little bit more detail. So the first one is called intentional. So intentional obviously means you're going to do this deliberately or you're going to do this on purpose. So you are intentionally adherent, which means you are intentionally following the rules. And this is exactly what we all should be doing all of the time in an ideal world. Okay, so intentionally adherent. Then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got intentionally, so deliberately, non-adherent. So that means you are intentionally breaking the rules. Jack and Ben, you with me so far? Yeah, yeah, got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one side intentionally adherent, on the other intentionally non-adherent. But the, these next two are where the, the sort of lines get a little bit blurred. So in one aspect, we've got unintentionally adherent. So, Jack, what do you think that means? Unintentionally adherent to the rules. So you are unintentionally, well, you're um, making, it's basically a mistake, isn't it? You're accidentally um, doing something to break the rules that you're not aware of, which is the, you know, an awareness that you're not, an awareness that you're not following the rules, basically. Yeah, but because it actually becomes adherent means that you were unintentionally following the rules how they are written. Oh, apologies. I didn't listen to the question. I yeah. answered the, uh, the next one. You answered the next, answer question. The next one. <laughs> so you got it right, though. So you're unintentionally... Um, it could be like... It's, a good example would be it's late game and you just pick up a handful of dice because you think your Gravis captain gets that many attacks, but you haven't checked... You're not really sure, and you could also be actually thinking, um, I'm going to pick up an extra dice, right? Forgetting that Gravis captains get an extra attack or something, but picking up the exact amount of dice, which is actually adherent to the rules. But you could have been deliberately cheating as well, or you could have been intentionally trying to cheat, but you ended up being adherent. But you were. So this is where it gets a little bit more confusing. So then the next one is unintentionally non-adherent, which is exactly what you were explaining, Jack. You've, you're not sure of something and you've accidentally broken the rules of the game. Well, yeah, my answer to the question was unintentionally non-adherent. Exactly, yeah. So I'll give you a really ex good example <laughs> of this. Um, a great example is I unintentionally was non-adherent to the rules of the game when I used that Ultramarines list. I could have took all the things that I wanted to take. However, in the way that I'd written my list, it was at the point in time unintentionally non-adherent. I wasn't trying to deliberately break the rules, but it happened to be so based on my interpretation of the rules. Um, was it impactful or non-impactful? Well, that's not really for me to say or argue. I could feel that it was non-impactful, but my opponents could feel that it was impactful. So again, um, it's one of those things that it's probably happened to us all the time. Jack, have you had a have you got an example of when you have unintentionally been non-adherent to the rules? Uh, yes. So when using Tau and um, Nova charging Riptides. Okay. Cool. Um, it's 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 done in the movement phase, but. Uh, I 
quite often for, I've forgotten that is done in the movement phase because uh, you know if it's a, especially an eighth edition, sometimes you didn't even need to move after army. So the movement phase was kind of a non-existence for me. So when I get to sh- come to shoot the Riptide, that's the point where you went, and then I realised that I haven't done that in the, in the appropriate stage. Um, so I, then I've unintentionally not followed the right rules and procedures there. Um, but I'd make sure I'd inform my opponent that that's what I'm doing. Um, that it's slightly out of sequence. But see, yeah, I've, I've made that mistake more times than I care to admit. Yeah, what about, what about you, Jonesy? Have you got any examples where you've yeah, unintentionally my, been mine's... non-adherence? Mine's very similar to yours, actually. I took, when I played Admec for a very short time, I actually took the the Dialodus model, the little guy who gives you plus one to hit, but he's from the Blackstone Fortress. And I gave him, um, I spent a CP to give him an additional Warlord trait and actually found out at the gaming table um, playing that uh, he's not allowed to take one. Yeah. So he he I'd spent the CV to give him the extra wall trait to regain command points. So once I found out from the player that I was playing that I couldn't do it, I just took the wall trait back off him. Yeah. Um, but you at that point you've already put him you know in your list incorrectly. Yeah. Or when you were playing me, mate, in that test game, and you were using Wrath of Mars as one CP, <laughs> but then that but that other yeah. stratagem is two CP. So you were unintentionally yeah. cheating yourself. In one I way, and then intention, un- unintentionally yeah. cheating me in another. <laughs> but but, but that's, a, that's a good example of non-impactful because the, the result of those two non-adherences yeah. was got you back to the correct place. Yeah. Yes. I find when I'm when I'm playing events, it's, if I use my Aldo, I'm pretty much spot on because I know all the rules. It's, if you take a, maybe a brand new army for the first time, you can miss something simple like a wall or trait on an incorrect model. Yep. Because yep. his rules aren't very clear because he's from a board game. And you just, you just miss that the fact that he's unique, but he can't actually take a wall or trait. Yeah, or that he doesn't have a forge. That He doesn't have a, That's a it. For- Yeah, he doesn't he- have a forge to take a wall or trait. Yeah, so he can't benefit Mars units because he doesn't have a forge to be Mars. But you have to look very very closely at his data sheet and it's not often you check what units do and do not have that forge or chapter brackets around them you just assume they have them right so again that's just a really good example of um unintentional non-adherent um and obviously i'm just in there about you using a stratagem incorrectly and you're right like um the that's why we always recommend play test play test play test so you can have those 20 games where you've unintentionally got a couple of things wrong here and there out of the system when you're in playtesting mode against somebody that is also expecting this to happen because it's a new codex for you. But when you come to a tournament, you've ironed out all those creases. And I think that's something that's really important that you actually are very aware of yourself is before you go to an mm. event, ask yourself have I had the correct amount of repetitions in with this list so I can be intentionally adherent throughout this entire tournament? Because otherwise, if not, then I'm risking the fact that I could be either A, unintentionally non-adherent to the rules or intentionally non-adherent. Yeah, I agree. It's knowing your stuff inside out, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jonesy. The question, what is cheating? What do you think that is? 
I think cheating is intentionally trying to get an advantage, um, knowing that it's not the correct. Like, say you know your gun's 12 shots and you roll 14. That That's like an intentional cheating or you're moving extra. Um, things that you actually know yourself are, are incorrect, yet you're trying to do it anyway. Okay, like this unit only moves six, but I'll move it seven and I hope my opponent doesn't notice. That's it, yeah. I'll just, I'll just nudge it a bit further to get the other side of this wall or something. Um, yeah. that, that's intentional cheating. How is it when... Um, do you think that can also happen in a innocent way where like that example there you that you somebody's moved just slightly a bit extra because we've probably all done it haven't we from oh time yeah, to time. yeah it can it can definitely um it can definitely happen it, intentionally i've probably done it myself in in, in unintentionally um, but when so let's say somebody has pushed it to the limit because in a competitive format we want to push the limits of the game but without stepping over that that line of what is fair and without trying to gain an advantage right you want to make sure you're maximizing absolutely everything you possibly can let's say jonesy you've spotted somebody they've they've moved a bit extra what do you do what is your next port of call then do you just look at it and let it slide the first time or do you say something what what do you do i I probably wouldn't say anything the first I'd, i'd look at it and it's um it also depends on what kind of player you're playing. Like if it's the first game of a tournament, you're playing someone and they come to tell like, oh, it's my first event or something. And, you know, they nudge a guy a bit too far forward, but his gun's going to be in range anyway. He's not able to make a charge this turn. I'm probably just going to let it go. Okay. But if so I'm what... playing like you at an event, you know, someone who actually knows how to play and you're moving two or three inches too far, I'm probably going to say something. And what would you say? What would be a respectful way I'd, to bring it up say, in conversation? Steve, I think you've moved that, uh, you know, ravager a little bit far. Can we just keep an eye on the measurements from now on? Something yeah. like that. Nice, because you're not you're not deliberately saying move it back. You've moved too far. No, you've said, no, no, no. I think you've potentially moved that a bit too far. Do you mind just double checking everything else? Yeah. 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 yeah that's it. Because you'll never know the true exact placement, or if you're unsure if you want to remove that model. Um, just put a dice where you, from your original start point, then we know. I've often used that sometimes, and I use that myself. Um, I use that I'll... a lot with Eldar, because they're so fast. You want to see a few angles first. I usually put a dice around the base and then move the model yeah. around a bit, see where you can go. Or what I do is I have models touching each other. So I'll know Tigerius is touching Kalgar. If I move Tigerius, I can just move him back to where Kalgar is, because that was his original starting place. Correct, yeah. So that you can use those aspects in the game, providing you're, um, you know, talking, you know, to your opponent about that. But yeah, you're right. Cheating is basically acting in a dis- dishonest or unfair way to gain an advantage. So um, fair play. Then we can look into this. We all, we obviously want to be playing fairly. Um, Jack, what is fair play when when we use that term? I think it's it's a respect for the rule, uh, respect for the rules, and uh, equal treatment for you know for all players that are playing the game. It's treat people how you would like to be treated yourself. Um, that's a textbook that's... answer, Jack. Oh no, I wonder where I got it from. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> no beautiful. I love it. Yeah, it's a mutual respect for the game, right? For the rules yeah. and also your opponent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's coming to the game wanting to play the game right isn't it it's 
you're not there to tr- you're not tr- you don't ever want to play anyone that's turning up to to bend the rules to win the game because it's not a pleasant experience. You both the best cut the best games I've ever had is when two two good players meet at the table and they're trying to outwit each other. Yeah. So what is then sportsmanship, and can too much sportsmanship be a bad thing? Uh, it, it, it's somewhat related to fair play, isn't it? Sportsmanship. It's, um, but I guess that's where sportsmanship. You're probably starting to introduce a bit of the competition element of of the game that you know yeah. both players want to win. Um, but you know, I, every game that I play in a tournament, I want to win it. Um, but there's a way that I'd like to win the game, uh, and there's ways that I wouldn't like to win the game. So, any uh, if I made any kind of cheat, uh, an intentional cheating. Um, uh, that's just not the way that I'd like to win, or if I, um, or you know, I, I had a bad uh, experience with my opponent, I wouldn't feel good about the win, things like that. I'd I'd want to win all my games while having five good games and and having five um, great interactions with my opponent. Yeah, and I think like this this term sportsmanship. You know, if we look at the textbook definition, it means fair and generous behaviour or treatment of others, especially in a sporting context. Now, often what can happen is people can be too sporting, I think, and actually let their opponent get away with too much unintentional, non-adherent rule breaking. Yeah, you have to draw a line somewhere. In that's it. You have to be fair. In that fair and generous, we have to combine that with fair play has to go both ways you also have to be fair to yourself i think is is one of those things and i would encourage people to remember that that sportsmanship it's it needs to be mutual so if you're if you are very generous in your sportsmanship then you would expect to receive that back from your opponent and i think we can talk about that in a little bit more detail but i think often some people can let their opponent get away with far too much in order to get that best sporting vote or whatever it might be, which actually they might not be aware of this, but if you are letting your opponent get away with too much at the table, what what's the inevitable outcome is going to be is that your opponent's going to score a lot more points than they should be, and that then is unfair on the rest of the competition. So actually, you could be sporting towards your opponent, but in that generous you know behaviour you've actually been very unsporting to the rest of the field and the rest of the tournament, although you might not realise it. Bet you never thought about that before, have you? No, I haven't, no, gone, no. I haven't gone that deep into it. <laughs> no, I think it's... Um, I've, I've certainly been too generous to players in the past at my own detriment. Um, get, let, letting them take um, go-backs or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, and... At some points, you actually do. You're right. You have to you have to draw a line. So actually, no, we're actually playing a competition here. Um, I want to be fair. I want to be sport, but then I also want to be sporting, not just to my opponent, but to myself. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. We all spend a lot of effort to learn our rules and play a clean game, that perfect game when everyone's adherent uh, in, intentionally. Um, but uh, that, that's that's it, it, and that's part of the skill. You, you know, in your rules inside out. And playing that game, and uh, at some point, you've you've got to you've got to let the skill and potentially win you a game. So I like cannot in, in that one game we played Jack at Cretans, and I was when I was playing the demons into your towel, and I literally just forgot everything on my blade bearers, and you said to me, "Oh, go ahead and do it." And I was like, at that point, I said to Jack, "I was like, I'm not going to do it because that was such bad play." 
I actually deserve to lose the whole squad. And then he just picked all the playbearers straight up. I literally Rich. forgot all the stratagems, <laughs> all the spells, everything. I was just, I don't know what I was doing that day. And I was just like, uh, at this point, it's too much to go back because that's going to affect Jack's game. And actually, I made all the mistakes. So we just let it go. You know, I carried on as it was and took the loss there. Yeah, took yeah, on the chin, mate. For it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it a good example, you know. That's probably me being over generous. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think we'd, we both won a couple of games. We weren't at the bottom, we we're about the mid table. Um, still a good chance of having a good showing at the tournament. And um, that, yeah, that was a massive mistake by Ben in that in that situation. Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, looking back now, I was being way too generous uh, to him because uh, it was my turn, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, you realise when I when <laughs> yeah, I came to pull the trigger, all the go backs would have put them on like minus two to hit four of pin one, would have <laughs> would have made them almost impossible to kill. Where at that yeah. point, you actually killed the whole squad for free, basically. So where do you much. draw? Where do you draw that line then? At what point, if let's use that as an example, so let's say Jonesy's realised this in the shooting phase that he's forgot to cast Miasma Pestilence, which is, gives you a minus one to hit. What happens then, Jack? Um, I'd, I'd, I would obviously wouldn't remind him to cast it, but if he remembered in his shooting phase, I'd I'd um, I'd let I'd happily let it go. It's there's nothing I could do to influence that decision tree or process at that yeah. point in the turn. So, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, it's just slightly out of sequence. It has nil effect on the game. Um, knowing the fact that I'm, I, I would likely make one, at least one of those in the game as well, which, you know, it's kind of getting that social contract in place that, yeah, fine, Ben, you can make that out of order operation. It doesn't really affect um, the game generally. Um and um, I'd, I'd hope for the same in return if I was to make that similar mistake. Yeah, I think it's one of those that there's nothing you could have done to impact it. If there would have been, I don't know, let's say you had two denies in your ability to cast, Jack, and you yeah. use those on other spells, and then Jonesy goes, oh, but I forgot to cast Miasma Pestilence, make this unit minus one to hit then there's a difference because you, Jack... Yeah, oh, you, 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 you ask some awkward questions here, Mr. Box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these things come up, right? And yeah, it's, yeah. it's at that point you say, unfortunately, I can't let that happen because I decided to deny these other powers because you weren't casting Miasma or Pestilence. I think... What I'd say in that situation is you can go back and cast it, but I get to den- I get a chance to deny it because okay. because like take the towel matcher for example. You well, that's a bad example because I can't even deny. But if it was like a, a Pyro Garn army with a BS four and there's a minus one to hit power, it's it's obviously the one that you're going to try and deny. It's because it's such a massive influence on the game. But um, that's the way I'll deal with that situation. But what if they then say, no, you can't deny it? Is it still it... their psychic phase? No, it's in the shooting phase. Right, so you can't well, do it then. It's too, it's too late, isn't it? <laughs> because I think when you come to that situation, so the, 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 the player casting the power is effectively um, missed, made a mistake and they're looking to rectify it. So to me, as an opponent, you, they need to make an offer to say, can I... Can I then do this out of sequence? And you can say yes or no. Or in this situation, you say, well, yes, you, I will allow it to happen, but um, 
I would have looked to deny this power. Uh, if you want to cast it, I get a chance to roll a deny for it. And I think that's a, fa- that's a fair way of doing it. Do you think it's fair to ask your opponent to do a go-backs? What, might you, what do you think, Jonesy? Do you think it's fair to ask somebody, can I go back and do this? I, I don't I think it depends on the state of the of the game. Like the one the example we just said there with Jack, like that miasma in my turn would have little effect on there's not much Jack could have done to stop it. Whereas the other side of it that we said where when it came to Jack's shooting phase I'd realised I hadn't done it, that's far too late. Yeah. In my opinion, to even offer a take back because you're you're the next player's turn. Yeah, because um, I think sometimes it's one of those things you think, would I like my opponent to put that on me? I don't know. I'm I've certainly been there in the past, and my opponents ask me, "Can I do this?" And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want to say no because I don't want to create a bad environment here. Yeah, but I also I feel like you're asking me this, and you shouldn't be. So again, it's like. Um, and I know some people are not happy with that challenge at the tabletop, so they just say, yeah, okay, it's fine, but really they know that that's actually going to cause them to have a bad experience. So I would say if somebody does ask you, there's nothing wrong with saying no. Absolutely not, and you've got to take it in the context of the game as well. Um, I think it's like if it's like ju- literally just after the psychic phase and they say shooting and they count their dice out and they're like, oh, I haven't cast this power, then I would be fine with that. Yes. Because they've not, they've not continued in and, and have done things that affect um, the state of the game. It's like I've played lots of Space Marine players and when it used to be, oh, I forgot to do my chaplain rolls and they're at the start of the battle round and then it's their turn, I, I, I would never stop that kind of thing. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Jack? No, I think it's just weird picking up with your point about um, going back to the example in my and Ben's game. I offered him the go back, um, but what what I was just thinking about is how how that interaction and conversation changes if Ben asks for the go back. And yeah. well, um, you you would say no at that point. It's the next turnover. Well, it, well, it's. Um, but it puts me in a very awkward position, doesn't it? Because it, yeah. it potentially creates that ill feeling, doesn't it? Um, I suppose if yeah, if you're if you're worried about it personally like that, I mean, I would have no problem at the table saying, "Well, we're we're actually the next battle round over." Yeah, but you you can't do it. I'm sorry, and it, that's just you know, it's part of the game. Yeah, I think some people will ask a lot more. They'll see what they can get away with. Yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting one where is we're we're going to talk into this next this next aspect, which is what does playing by intent mean versus not playing by intent? So, and I want to ask you, like, so Jack, do you play by intent? Yes. Yeah. Jonesy, do you play by intent? Yes. Okay. Is not playing by intent a bad thing, or is it? Do you know what I mean? So is it is that the wrong way to play the game? What do you think? By not I playing by an intent? I played a player in, in one tournament and we come to the table and he's a nice chap I'll get on one. I won't name him in this podcast, but we get on really well. And he comes to the table and he said, I like to play the game. Exact measurements and movements are as they are and there's zero take backs. And he actually said that to me when 
when we arrived at the table. At that point, you sort of know. Maybe that like sort of pre-game conversation with each other, you sort of you can almost get a grasp of people sometimes. So I knew in that game, I had to take it real slow in the movement, make sure that I'd done everything every time. Do you know what I mean? Because I knew there was no going back. And what about you, Jack? What do you think? Uh, no, I don't think there's a, there's a right or wrong way. And it's it's almost a bit of a style choice, uh, which is suit your personality and play style. Um, but I think what Ben just alluded to there is it's it's important to, to to try and feel out or make your intentions very clear on how you like to play the game. Do you play exact millimetres measurements with no go-backs or do you play with a bit a bit looser and a bit more freely with intention it's it, it's it's something that you kind of need to clear up in that in that first interaction before you start throwing the models on the table yeah i agree and i think i love what you, i love what that opponent's done with you there jones he said look i like to play like this yeah yeah like literally we said hello and that was the first thing yeah so at I, that point you know where you're at yeah i had exactly the same um, with one of my favourite ever opponents that I've ever played, and I was like, "Not a problem." I it can may do be the that. same. It may be the same person because I know we've all played him. Uh, this, or well, this person, um, I don't think it was this person I'm thinking of. But um, the, uh, in in fact, I don't mind naming this person, um, Jeff Robinson. He said to me, "We played at LGT," and he said, "Look, I like to play like this. I want, I want the game to go to six turns or a natural conclusion. Are you happy with that?" And I said, "Absolutely." And it was one of the most enjoyable games of 40k I've ever played, and um, we we got on so well ever since that. So um, yeah, it was like I had no ill feeling towards playing exactly the way that he wanted to play. I was happy to do that. And, I, and we both thoroughly enjoyed that game. So, um, yeah, it was a great experience. So I don't think there is a right or a wrong way. But and I, but do you feel like sometimes if somebody does want to play that way, even if you normally play by intent, they kind of get the, pro, like the priority, right? Yeah. I think if they've said that that's how it's going to be, that is actually the, gen, that is the actual rules of the game. So yeah. the rule of the game is you can you have to do it exactly. The way we'll play with a lot of like when you play on a lot of the higher up tables where people play it all the time, they generally know what you know, like you'll put your unit on the objective and you'll say like within three, you'll say that to your opponent and you'll be like, they're not gonna come across with the measure and go, Oh, that's three point one, so you can't have it. Mm, yeah. Well, Whereas if, if you... they say they're playing by exact measurements, you're gonna physically make sure and get them to agree. You know, I'm touching this, or I'm within 15 of this. So if I advance three, I'm going to be on it. I would play it like that yeah. with someone like that, so they they actually agree your moves with you. Yeah. So then yeah, there's there's, perfect, there's no there's no like them saying halfway through, oh, you couldn't get there. Well, I'd be like, well, actually, we actually agreed that I could move with an advance of three onto this. So at that point, you're sort of you're stopping any arguments back at you. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. So here's a question. Rules as written versus rules as intended. And this kind of, I want to talk about the word rules lawyering. So rules lawyering is when, and we kind of had this preamble pre-chat or pre-recording, was when somebody is trying to gain an unfair advantage based on a poorly written rule, right? 
So a real classic one at the moment. Jack, can you think of anything that is rules is written fine, but broken as hell and clearly not intended? Uh, I think the, the big one for me that's um, just popped into my head is the uh, the ATV's interaction with the apothecary from the Space Marines. That the fact that um, it, it technically at the moment can be brought back to life, um, which for me just doesn't feel as rules as intended. It's rules as written. Technically, you can do it, but it doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. It, well, any examples you can think of, Jonesy? I was thinking of the one, I, don't, I think it's been actually changed now, but it, it was a problem a few months ago, was the salamander strap that meant you could fall back and then count as remaining stationary, so still like double shoot your models and you yeah. know, you, you could get all the benefits for being stationary even after you foul back, which normally would take those benefits away from you. Yeah, you could fall back, count as stationary and still charge and shoot for one yeah. CP. Yeah, um, ludicrous. When yeah. most other stratagems, fall back and shoot, fall back and charge, are two CPs. And even then, it doesn't count as count stationary. As stationary. That because you're getting like aggressors th- falling back, double shooting, <laughs> fighting. Charge, yeah. <laughs> Just got crazy. If you're one CP, I mean, everyone was going to use it. Whereas your Eldar one, Jonesy, for your Shining Spears, is fall back and shoot and charge for two CPs. Yeah, two CPs, yeah. But it doesn't count you as stationary. So... <laughs> Um, no. That should have been like a three CP stratagem if it was going to be rules as written. And again, there was things that, um, you know, these things come up in the game. And again, you need to think about that as, is that fair? Is it fair I take three eighty or nine ATVs in a chief apothecary with the old selfless healer? Is that a fair thing for me to do? How is my opponent going to... Um, feel about that is that something in which I'm gonna what is this a game I'm going to enjoy because you know well, well for me competitive means effective efficient and also enjoyable and if it's not those three e's then for me it's not a competitive game so you know it's bad it's bad enough on terminators and eradicators and then you're putting it on 85 point 85 yeah. point view with bikes, eight wounds you know? yeah in, in this during like... the course of a game you get an extra 500 points because you bought your apothecary and this is the thing that a good player or a top player in the world will go, cool, mate, you brought nine ATVs. All right, no problem. Well, I'll just shoot a unit dead so you can't bring one back. And what I'll do is just outplay you on the mission so you won't score anything. Whereas, so they're actually, you know, somebody here has decided, okay, I found this little broken thing in the rules. I'm going to take this ridiculous combo because rules is written, I can do it. They take it to a tournament, realize that, they cause everybody that doesn't know how to deal with it a really bad day, but they weren't the players that they actually needed to beat because if their skill set's already good, they should be able to beat them on the tabletop anyway. And the players that they actually run into that will beat them anyway, they are focusing so much on rules lawyering that they're not focusing on beating, you know, or trying to be the best player they can be. Do you, would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Just just on the rules uh, lawyering as well it's um there's been a few instances where you can there's been a few inter- interpretations of the same wording um and things like that and i'll flip the question back to steve is how do you deal with those situations when you've got multiple um interpretations of the same rules um or like just rules as written versus the rules as intended how do you deal with that at the, at like the um the vanguard tactics grand series 
So if there was ever anything like that, number one, it was my job as a TO to bring that to the attention of the players. So there was a few things as a TO I thought, okay, this doesn't feel right. So for example, um, at the time you could cast multiple smites, right? By, I think it was either the same character or um, it, the smite didn't increase, right? It was, um, it was beginning of 90, so the same character could cast smite. Yeah, rules so that was it. Yeah, yeah, rules are written, the same character could cast smite. I just said from the get-go, no. We're not doing that. It's clearly not as intended. We've just played 8th edition where it, they made a big deal about this. It's clearly not how it's intended to be. The next thing that came up was um, somebody from the, the tournament came over to me and said, they asked me a really good question. They didn't tell me what army they were playing or anything like that. They asked me a black and white question without any bias. Can a um, demon prince block lookout sir for another demon prince? They didn't say, my opponent's taken a demon prince and um, he wants to block line of sight. I don't think it's right. What do you think? He's just asked me the question straight. Can a demon prince block another demon prince for lookout, sir? And I just said, no. Rules is, in, rules is written, you can, but rules is intended. I don't feel like that's right. So that was my ruling on it. But that that player came up to me as the TO, asked me that question, and I gave him... I, I then, as the TO, walked back to that table, because this is the important thing as a TO. The TO has to walk, walk back to the table and tell both players this at the same time. What you can't do is tell one player and then he goes back, because what then can happen is the other person could think, was well, he lying to me? And then that can create a bad atmosphere at the tabletop. Yeah, I think any of any of the technical things that we had at the GT, like we, I, I had the one with the um, both players asking about the Black Templar stratagem, and we, we had, had all the books open ready for me, so I could make a you know clear call on it because it's one it was one of those odd interactions in the game you don't normally see. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, so in terms of then talking about books, Jonesy. Yeah. What are your thoughts on books? So you're in the moment, you are, your opponent's tried to do something and you've said, is that right? What are your thoughts on books? Well, I, I like to have my rules for my army with me. Um, I actually own every codex in the game. I like to buy every codex that comes out and read it from cover to cover and get an idea of what's going on in there. If I'm asking them because I don't think it's the correct way, I, I usually will put the clock on me and ask for their book. Should that be on you? Uh, probably not, but usually I play my games with loads and loads of time anyway. So I usually, I'll know where it is in the book. I'll put it to me, save arguments for a couple of seconds and show them that it's actually this. What about you, Jack? What do you think? On, what's um, your opinion on books? Should, should your opponent have their books in FAQs? Oh, yeah, certainly. I think it's, you know, I'm pretty sure it was written into every single tournament pack that you are responsible to bring all your rules uh, and appropriate FAQs. So, um, yeah, so I think that's completely on you as a player to, to make sure you have all the rules to to deal with, question, you know, questions and challenges to the things that you're doing with your, with your list. Do you think that they should have, GW this is, made it, you get 10 points if you have a painted army and all of the books or apps required 
to use your army? Um, yeah, like it's, it's, it, maybe that's something the tournaments could look into to say. It makes a lot more you, work you for the tournament you... organizer, though. They've got to go and check everyone's bags, make sure they've got all their rules. Oh, absolutely. I don't, I don't think it would actually work from a logistical point of view. Maybe you should get dock points if you can't provide um, the rules during the game, maybe. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I've been in situations before where I've asked my opponent, can you check that? And they've just gone, I haven't got my rule book. So well, I think if point... they can't prove it at that time, you go with your interpretation. Okay, so that's uh, another one. Yeah, Or you yeah, could if... go get a TO, right? But yeah, and I think we... if you've got to go get TOs, it's on their time then because they can't provide you the rules. But the, this is the other problem is not everybody uses chess clocks and there's a lot of negativity towards chess clocks. But they do solve this this issue, right? Of these yeah, kind I, of these things happening. I, I played a game at London GT and started the second day, and uh, the guy I played had a bad night by the sounds of it. But he didn't arrive till forty minutes into the game. So I put my models, deployed them in the deployment zone, marked out his deployment, and then went off. You know, sat down, and put. I just put a chess clock on his. Yeah. And then when he when he arrived, I was like, "Well, we're forty minutes here, and it's all on your time. You still want to play?" And he was happy. He was happy with that. Yeah, well, because, I think he's done something fair. Yeah. Yeah, technically, I mean, you could I could have just I went and got the referee and asked what they wanted to do, and that, that was kind of what we come up with. Well, they said you can just pack up now and take the win if you want, but I was like, "Well, if the chap arrives, I'll play the game." But um, turned out he was playing knights. Luckily, in the end, so he didn't need much time. <laughs> Yeah, happy days. <laughs> but it would have been worse if he turned up with like 300 models and then we're trying to squeeze a game in an hour and a half. That shouldn't be on the player that's already there. Yeah, and what are your thoughts on chess clocks, um, Jack? Do you think they should be and you shouldn't be? What are your thoughts? Um, I've never really played with them much. I don't, I don't personally particularly like them, probably due to lack of practice, but I have been... Um, maybe cheated out of a couple of games based on slow play uh, and not having a clock on. So it's something that I should probably practice more and get, and get comfortable with using because I, much like Ben just said there, I, I, I always get my games wrapped up in good time in 99% of games when I'm playing other players. But in those 1%, it, I have left the table with bad feeling um, when I've felt like I've been um, slow played or you know robbed of time basically. I think some of those so games where you, have a, you have a bad turn or something and you want to just sit there and have a look at look at a few things and it might take five or ten minutes where you're not really doing anything. I think it doesn't frustrate your opponent if they know that it's coming out of your time. Yeah. Because I'll quite often do that sometimes, just stand there for a few minutes. You know, if something you, that something's being killed that you wasn't expecting, you're then trying to think of a new way to do it and I mean if they if you're not on a time clock they just think you're stood there doing nothing well exactly uh, they can th they can think you are intentionally non-adherent to the rules of the game which yeah. is you are slow playing them um when in fact you are you could be unintentionally doing it but this is the problem with that differentiation between intentional and unintentional and I think this is a really great example because you there, Jonesy, could be unintentionally non-adherent, i.e. taking up more, 
more time, but them who are looking at this thinking, well, if my opponent wins this, he cheated because he intentionally slow played, right? So yeah. straight away, you're going to be labeled as a cheater um, in, your, in your thinking, well, hang on a minute, I just I didn't mean to do that. It's just how it was. We weren't using a chess clock. So if you're not using a chess clock, here's the other question. If you're not, and you both parties have agreed not to use a clock, are you breaking the rules of the tournament? No. Not rules is written. You're not. Because obviously it doesn't say in the rules in the rules of the game, anywhere in the Games Workshop book, that you have to play your game in a certain amount of time. It only says you have to complete, ideally, the five turns. So, again, that's where you start to break sportsmanship in fair play. But, again, somebody will ban that word cheating at you, so you can't really do that if you've agreed at the start to not use a chess clock. I think one of those things, like you said, Jack, you might not play with a chess clock that often, but you can't blame your opponent for potentially cheating if you haven't then used a... Do you know what I mean? If you've deliberately said we won't use yeah, a yeah. clock. No, absolutely correct. Um, I remember, I can't remember which tournament we were at, and um, the T, uh, it might have been up in the games, actually. It's, I think the TO um, summarised it brilliantly, saying, guys, chess clocks are available. We recommend that you use them. If you don't use them and you come to complain about being slow played, there is nothing I can do to do to help you with it. Okay, and actually, the, the penny kind of, is, is the, the penny kind of dropped with me. Then go, yeah, fair play. It's because you know, the TO is not sat at your table all game. They have no clue what's happened in in the previous uh, you know and a half two hours, and you haven't got a clock to record the time. What's what, what's he meant to do? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there are certain things you can do, um, but like you said, if they're not using a clock, then there's literally nothing you can. So, um, and again, that's at your discretion. You need to be prepared that if your opponent does slow play, try to give them the benefit of the doubt that it was unintentional first, I would say. Um, If you've asked them, if you've noticed it halfway through that they are playing particularly slow, again, be proactive. Hey, we've just got this much time left. Do you mind if we use a clock for the remainder of the time so we can ensure we get this finished? Or um, is there anything I can do to help you speed up your game? Um, Or I've just noticed that my turn was only 10 minutes, but we are bloody, you know, we're this much into the round. Um, You know, is there any way we can speed this up or ensure that I or this game gets to five turns? Because unfortunately in the game 40k at the moment, let's say Jack... We get to the table and I take while we stand, we fight. And I also take raise banners. And yeah. I don't know, I take, um, I'm just thinking of, of, of another secondary that would impact this. Psychic ritual. Okay. I get my banners up turn one and I do my three actions and I get my 15 points for psychic ritual. But you took assassinate grind them down and you also took engage in all fronts but we only got to turn three i get all of my points because you didn't kill my characters i get all of my points because i got while we stand we fight i managed to max out all of my secondaries uh, but you didn't get engaged in all fronts because you only had two quarters at the time of turn three so even if you carried on counting it out you can't move any more models because the time's down but you can still look at how many quarters you're in, right? Yeah. 
So that's where we need to be really, really careful of time. And again, you need to be asking yourself, am I being fair with my time here? Um, and if you do like time to think, like Jonesy likes to sit and think, he's a real contemplator, you know, that's why Jonesy can have a clock, put it on me, cool, I'm happy to sit and think for 20 minutes. I'm going to use up my time. Yeah. I played a game at Glasshammer where I spent 25 minutes deploying. It was you go, I go. Sorry, not you go, I go. It was whole army, whole army. But I knew I was going second to a very aggressive Necron list. And I literally spent 25 minutes of my time deploying. Yeah. But I was happy to do it because I knew I can play my army in the time left. But the most important part of that game, and it actually won me the game, was was making sure that I couldn't get Alfred off the board. Yeah. You know, yeah. putting little weapon platforms out in front to shield my army and hiding in the in the owl ruin, but making sure the angles were covered and measuring it out. And if it's on you, your opponent's not bothered at all. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if, if that was a game with no chess clock and I was the other player, I'd think, oh, my God, we're not going to get this game done. He's wasting time <laughs> on purpose. You know, let's get going. Let's start. Yeah. But if there was a clock on them, you're just not bothered. You're instantly at ease. You're like, well, I'm going to get my half anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to throw some scenarios at you both, okay? Cool. cool. This podcast is sponsored by Foreground Publishing, who are the leading designers and manufacturers of tabletop pre-painted terrain. Check out the VT Terrain series, which is perfect for competitive 40k games. Just unbox, build, and play. Okay, so we're back from the break, and uh, I've got some scenarios for you both, okay? Yeah. All right. Get on. And I'd really like your interpretation of how you would handle this at the table, okay? So you're both up against a Necron player. Now, Necron players, when they have a full detachment of the same Necrons, they can use something called codes, and they have to write down their code order pre-game. They don't have to show you, but they write down their order of the codes that they want to use. But each of these codes have an A or a B benefit, so they can do this or get that buffed. Do you know what I mean? So now the thing is, these are revealed at the start of the battle round. So your Necron opponent is going second, okay? And you get to turn two or turn three, and it's now your Necron player's turn, and they say, my code for the turn is this, or they do an action and they try and do something, and they'll go, oh, but my Necron code is this. Jack, what are your thoughts? What is the problem here? Okay, well, the, the problem is that um, because of the order of the operations there, that the if the Necron player does their codes out of sequence, they are now privy to additional information than they would have had prior um, to, from when they should have done it. So they have unintentionally or, or intentionally gained an advantage um, about doing it out of sequence. Um, you know, if in the, in the if if it was turn three, um, that means the player would have on uh, uh, on a on turn one with the player. So say right, they go to do their code in their turn. I go, oh, actually, I thought your codes are done at the beginning of battle round. You, you check the rules. They go, yes, that's right. Beginning of battle round from turn one, and then if they then missed it, moving forward. Then I think that's then onto the Necron controlling army um, player to, um, to to take the hit on that really. 
what in not get access to it completely not get access to either of them or are you going to let them take the worst of the two or are you going to get a ref or you're going to one two three four five six it what are you going to do no i think um unfortunately because the way that those rules interact i i don't think i feel comfortable to take the ability um if they did out of sequence especially you know the first time it happens you, you may look to let it slide but um it feels in turn one, but then from t- the the good thing about it that it kind of naturally picks itself up from the first battle round, where it may not be too influential on the game, but later on in the game it be- could become very influential, um, create ill feeling for both players, couldn't it? If um, you know, the the one that I'm thinking of is the fullback and charge one, um, you, you know, it, it, the Necron player's got a. Gr- great cunning plan that you know they'll receive a load of charges and they'll pull out their code to to fall back and shoot next turn but they try and do it out of sequence but then the the opposing player has done this play to shut down the necron army it's it, it does create a r- r- weird interaction between the players i, I totally agree out. with with jack as well i think if it's turn three they've probably done it right or wrong twice before that so if they've done it right the first two times and they've told you what their code is at the start of the battle round, but this turn three they forgot, but it's it's big. It's, you know, you've tagged their entire army and now they're wanting the code of fall back and shoot. Now, for me, I would say, do you have that written down anywhere? If you have, I'm happy for you to have it because it was clearly your intent yeah, pre-game. Yeah. Um, however... I don't know if that was your intention because the actions that I've now, I've risked overextending myself to charge you because I've consolidated into units where you can freely attack me because I am trying to get this ability, this buff, this benefit because I'm doing this maneuver and I'm going to take the hit of potentially losing a model or here or, you know, a model here or there because I've consolidated into you. I don't think you can. I think you just, at that point, they just don't get it. That's the unfortunate part of it. So what about this then? Jonesy. Yeah. You forgot to declare your, you've got a chapter ancient, and at the start of the battle round, or in your command phase, you can pick a unit to get this command ability on it within six. You forgot to declare which unit it was going on. Do you think your opponent should let you put a command ability on a unit? When um, do you think you can and when do you think you can't? I if it's just at if it's at the end of the movement phase, I think that would be fine. To say, oh well I wanted reroll hits on my plasma interceptors or something. Um I think quite generally when people deploy there's a sort of a if you, say you've got like three characters and then a couple of guys who are stood there with the shields like the blade guard and you've got one shooting unit, it's kind of I think blatantly obvious where you're going to put the reroll hits on. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it becomes a point where it would be not you couldn't do it as if you'd started shooting with one unit, it didn't quite kill the unit you're aiming for, so then you go oh the next one oh actually I want to reroll hits with this unit. You probably couldn't do it then. Do you think it's fine yeah. if you said, um, okay, I've got this unit of blade guard. Um, 
it's going to be my intention for the rest of the game to give them plus one to hit and re-roll misses from these two characters. I would that, that would be fine with me if I was playing that game. Yeah. And I think so that's, that's something where yeah. you've really got declaring your intent just to go, look, I've got this unit yeah. of Inceptors. I'm more yeah. than likely going to be putting re-roll misses on them. I'll tell you if I'm going to do it any different. Well, me and Jack recently played a practice yeah. game. We both had Plasma Inceptors and we basically said that before we even practiced. <laughs> Chapter Master re-rolls on this unit all game till it's dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the Chaplain's going to have re-roll hits for everybody else, so we don't need to worry about yeah. that in combat anyway. It's, yeah. Um... And I, I see that with the Tower Ethereal. I just tell my opponent, he's going to put the six I feel no pain aura on until I tell you otherwise, basically. Are you okay with that? Yep, no problem. So it's just it's just a bit admin that got out of the way then. It, it saves me a potential mistake later down the line. Yeah, um, and, you could, and everyone's clear what's going on. This is a nice little cheat sheet you could make yourself, right? To help you make sure you are intentionally adherent to the rules of the game and your opponent's yeah. not going to think that you're intentionally non-adherent because your opponent's always going to see it through their lens and you're always going to see it through your lens so it's good just to get that out of the way okay i've got another well i've got another scenario for you jack okay let's go right your opponent has charged in to one of your units they haven't yeah. said anything they've just made their charge and you have then moved your model you know, what you think is two and a half to three inches, so well within three, of heroic yeah. intervention. Yeah? Yeah. And your opponent goes, they they move your model back, they go, it was my intention, and you think that they've now moved your model further away than they originally were, and they've then gone, oh, it was my intention to be outside of heroic intervention range, and you're not within three. How do you handle that okay. situation? So... In that situation, the, the player who's making the charge um, is responsible for either um, being over three inches away or declaring an intention to be over three inches away. Um, at, the, at the point where I've picked up my character to heroically intervene, it's too late for the opponent to then backtrack. I think that's just backtracking. That's that's them, you know, either not considering the heroic intervention or making a sloppy play um, because... Um, I imagine in that situation, your opponent wouldn't, if you didn't heroically intervene, it probably wouldn't change their movement or or their charging, uh, or what they were charging or their influence and their decisions. So I think it's a, it's, a, it's on the charging player to, to make it clear exactly what they're doing. The combat phase is very intricate uh, and it's very important before f um, finalizing all your final movements is saying, look, I'm moving these models here. Just say I'm over three. I've just measured. I'm over three inches away from your character. All these models will be over three inches away. There's no no heroic interventions on the cards. You then either agree or disagree. You, you adjust models accordingly, and then uh, you carry on with the game. Okay, but they've now moved your model back. They tell they tell you you didn't measure your three inches, although you blatantly know it was you know two two and a half. You know closer to the two mark than it was three. They've moved your model back well outside of three inches and now claiming that you're not within three. But you've got no proof that you were or weren't. How are you going to handle this situation? Because it's starting to escalate already. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it becomes very difficult, doesn't it? Because um, there is no way of definitively uh, checking what, what's true or false. Who... Um, 
Uh, yeah, I don't think you should be moving anybody else's model unless they well, ask you to. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's where I was kind of thinking is that, you sh- yeah, you shouldn't be picking up other people's models and moving them for for that exact reason, actually, to be honest. Um, so like if you've got engaged the other side of the table and you, you go to your yeah. opponent, can you can you stick my hornet in the back left corner, please? It's got plenty of move. That's fine. But you wouldn't you wouldn't like when your opponents heroically intervening, pick their model up and put it back, you know, five or six inches back the other way. That surely you, you wouldn't be doing that. So how do we handle it? Because I would handle this and go, okay, um, I am very sure I was within three. But what I would like to do is go and discuss this and just ask the ref how we should resolve this issue. Because yeah. I just want to come to a fair and reasonable outcome. Um, you didn't declare your intent that you were you were outside of hurricane intervention. I was, for my belief, I was within three and clearly within three. So if it was going to be that tight, I would have assumed you would have it made your intention clear. However, because you've moved my model now, I don't know where I was or where we were originally. Do you mind if I get a ref? And if they go, oh, let's just one, two, three, at four, five, six it. I think at that point you say, no, I'd still like to get a ref. And I think any TO or ref would say, look, you didn't declare your intent. And also you've moved your opponent's model. I'm saying that they can hurricane intervene. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the player who's going to hurricane intervene. Would you guys agree well, with that? that? Well, that, that's how I would ref it if yeah. I was refing at one of your events. Yeah. Yeah. And again, just make that intention clear. Okay. So here's another question for you, Jack. You get to the end of the game and your opponents won it by a point. Yeah. But, but you feel like they haven't tracked the score correctly. You were not tracking the score. How do you resolve this issue? You so you think you're out by a point somewhere, and you you're trying to go through, and they're saying, "Well, I've got it down as this." How do you resolve um, this scoreboard issue? Well, I it, yeah, I think I would ask to. Oh, can we just double check? You know, the simple stuff. Let's check the maths. Let's see that everything's been added up, and um, and then maybe even go turn by turn checking what scores are put in when um, because you, you can reflect over a game and understand how many points you got for engaging all fronts on turn two and turn three etc um, to, to figure out the t- what the scores should have been but ultimately if I hadn't kept a scoreboard myself and we couldn't agree um, it's it's a, it's a win to my opponent yeah would you agree with that Jonesy yeah, I'm with Jack. I always score on my own pad and paper anyway. And I, I like to, after every turn, after every battle round, I like to show it to the opponent. Okay, agree. You know, we're currently at 20 points to 19. Do you agree with everything on here? They say yes, that's done. I, I'm not a big fan of going back trying to remember points, you know, during the game. I like it. No. You, if you write it down clearly throughout, like, I know when... You know, I've seen you play, and Steve, you have your whiteboard there, and you're constantly checking with the opponent as well. If everyone's agreeing all game, then at the end, if they lose by a point, they can't argue. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought I got an extra engage on turn one. Well, it's like, well, actually, it's wrote down here, and you've actually agreed throughout the game. Well, you know, you only think you got an extra engage because it might win you the game. Yeah. Uh, so. If you don't keep the score, you are putting yourself not only 
yeah. at the risk of not having your argument won because you've got no evidence whatsoever. Plus, you can't use that to your advantage so that you can play defensively or aggressively. So that's, I always keep the score. Even if I feel comfortable that my opponent's going to do an accurate and honest job, I still do it anyway because it's going to help me win the game. Because I'm not because I'm going to try and tweak it, but I know if I need to push myself, extend it, or if I can start to, you know, just defend my models, just score a certain amount of points to win the game. So I think that's a really good top tip there. Okay, um, how do you feel about this, Jonesy? You've asked your opponent, do you have anything in your army? Let's say it's in the shooting phase. You just happen to ask this question in the shooting phase. Do you have anything in your army that has a minus three... AP weapon and they say all of my weapons are AP minus two but you get to the because there was something that you wanted to do that would you know maybe like a use a, a, a benefit to a save or something whatever it might be yeah you position get to the, the sister's lady that gives you no minus two yeah something like that, that sort of thing yeah and you get to the combat phase and your opponent goes I'm minus three how do you deem that in your books is that them intentionally depends how you ask the question because if you ask is there anything in your army that's shooting at minus three and you say no and then i would count combat weapons as different mm -hmm. if you asked like i suppose at the start of the game is any weapon in your army minus three and they say no and then they're like oh actually all my blade guard swords are minus three then that's sort of I wouldn't want to win like that myself. If my opponent asked me, you know, do you have anything AP3 in combat, then I would tell them. But if they asked shooting weapons, I'd say yes or no to the shooting weapons. So this was an example that came up recently. Um, so I was playing Joe. I'm going to call him out here. I was playing oh, good Joe. Old Joe. I'm in my psychic phase, right? Yeah. Playing against Necrons. And I'm like, I've got Psychic Fortress in the bank, right? Five plus feel no pain. Sorry, five plus invulnerable save on my units. So I'm I'm currently three up save on my aggressors. Do I need that that minus three is really important because if he's only minus two or minus one, it's not gonna make a difference. It only Waste makes time, a difference don't need it. exactly when it gets to minus three. So I said, Do you have any weapons? Because we're in my psychic phase, do you have any weapons that are minus three? He said no, they're all minus two. We get to the combat phase and all of a sudden his destroyers are minus three. So this is number one. I could obviously, I know Joe, he's not intentionally, I played Joe obviously a million and one times. I know he's not intentionally, you know, done that. It's a brand new codex and it wasn't the first port of call to his mind. Um, it's not my, well, I suppose it, it, the, number one, it's my responsibility. I should, if I'm, you know, the player I am, know all of his rules. I should know all the rules in the game, technically, um, but often that isn't always the case. So let's say it gets to it and I go, right, well, Joe, I said, did you have any weapons that were minus three? What do you think Joe's response should be to that? What would you do, Jonesy? Okay. Knowing I wanted to cast Psychic Fortress if you were minus three. If he was out of deny range, and had the powers to do it, I'd let you try and cast it, if it was okay. me. If the mistake was genuinely on me. But it would well, depend on the question you ask, because if you ask shooting attacks... Different question. I'd say, well, I'd say, no, they're not shooting attacks, they're combat attacks. Yeah, so that was my... Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Jack? How do you feel about that? Um, 
I'm all for Joe beating you, to be honest. I'm with Joe. That's, that's my answer to that one. <laughs> no, it's it's a tricky one because um, it could, like you have no way of knowing it, it if it was an intentional or unintentional. Um, yeah, obviously with Joe, you'd um, it obviously is an unintentional one here. But if if you put that into a tournament setting, then what, what what do you say in return? Do, do, you, do you think you, that you've been in, intentionally cheated at that point? Um, is it right to ask that go back to cast Psychic Fortress? It's yeah, it's a strange interaction, and um, yeah, I'm not He's, sure how. There's so many weapons in the game, isn't there? And there's so many things yeah. that alter the weapons as well. Like you might have all minus two weapons, and then a doctrine puts them all into minus three. It's yeah. like. It gets very complicated. If like this is why I like to read all the books to have a, a basic understanding of what everything is. So this is this is really important when it comes to those questions. You're right by what what I said earlier, Jonesy. In you, sorry, you were right when you said about did you ask whether it was you know do you have any shooting weapons that are minus three because that's different to melee. That's a different question. It's not it's not Joe's responsibility to tell me what is melee. AP is if I'm asking for a shooting based question, right? Obviously, yeah. Psychic Fortress works in both. I'm asking it in my psychic phase to prepare myself for the next two turns. But there's also things like, um, like you said there, with that interaction of, you know, you could pay two CPs whilst in a certain doctrine, and every time you roll a six, you get that minus three. If I, if jo- you should then, I believe, say, by the way, I can, I do have a stratagem that means that I can get to minus three. So although my weapon profiles, because if I, I think that's where you can have a real feel bads moment in a gotcha moment, if you've asked your opponent, have you got any way to, I don't know, um, can that unit advance in charge? Uh, but actually, um, sorry, just on that AP one, um, it, again, it goes back to the question that you've asked, because if you say, are any of your weapons AP two, or... Is there any way of getting your weapons beyond AP2? It's a different question, isn't it? Because, again, it's There, there might be line. five different ways to do exactly. it. Exactly. You know, with the Space Marines, you've got your doctrin, Doctrines, Warlord traits, Relics, you know, whatever it might be. But then it's, it's that line, isn't it, between answering the question and fairly and giving away your whole... You it's know, like knowing everything off the top be... of your head as well. Like, if you're yeah. Mephrit with Necrons, when you get in half range, everything's plus one AP. So then yeah, you're trying to think at the start, like what's twos going to threes and one's going to twos and And um you know, and some of that stuff could be your trick, you know, you, you could have built your army around that stratagem and um you get put in an awkward position where you've got to kind of declare your hand at the beginning of the game. Um it's yeah, I'm not sure I'm not sure. Um it depends how that question was asked, I think is is critical. There is a difference between how much you should share and how much you shouldn't. And I think yeah. it comes down to you whether you feel like you're you're going to give your opponent a gotcha moment. Um, I don't know. Let's say you said, um, can... I, I've had it before. I said, can that knight move and get line of sight to here, to this unit I had of Dark Reapers at the time? Um, and he was like, no, 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 it's fine. I can't. But... He didn't tell me that he could advance and still shoot. Ah. 
So his advance move could get him within that range, but I just said a move. I didn't say explicitly the advance move. Do you see what I mean? So that's where he should have said, in my opinion, by the way, I can advance and shoot, or I can advance yeah, and charge with this unit. Yeah, I, I definitely, um, you know, the, the games that we've played in tournaments and stuff, where it's exactly the same situation when, when I'm playing Tau. Go, oh, can I move? I think our last Blood Angels game, Steve, that we played, is like, can that Riptide get round this corner to shoot uh, with his move? I was like, no, I'm going to have to use uh, Monka and advance and shoot in, the, in this turn to do it. Okay, okay, right. We then look at the new position if I rolled a six on my advance and you and you can just stay accordingly because that would be that is a feel bad moment if someone doesn't see that one coming they think they've hidden from everything and all of a sudden you just jump out of nowhere and uh, send off a full volley it does create a real bad feel feel bad I think moment. The, I think the better question to ask is it for the max threat range of a model. Yeah. Because that's how me and Jack play the plasma inceptors. We're like the maximum <laughs> maximum threat range, and we just stay in. It was such a stupid game. It was such a stupid game. It's like point one of an inch outside of yours, and then he was point one inch outside of mine. It was a dance of the the dance of the plasma inceptors. Yeah, <laughs> and that way we 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 were factoring in if you roll a six on the advance, <laughs> this is the absolute <laughs> maximum. Yeah, I just kept dancing around. I've always been of the opinion I would rather slightly overshare than slightly undershare, just so my opponent doesn't feel Agreed. like. Yeah. And that's where I can be sporting. I can be generous with my information, but not putting myself at a disadvantage either, yeah. right? I, I played a game at RGT, and it was like 97, 93. I lost it to, to John, a guy I've played several times. He plays Elder and Harlequins. And I was playing the new Admech, and he hadn't played them before. And he is like, what do I need to know as a Aldar player about this army? And I know from playing all the Aldar, he needed to know about the um, horsemen having that. They can charge and move. They can move 12 when they're declared as a charge because that's the whole stratagem against his army. If I didn't tell him that at that point, then it's a very hard game for him to even play. I mean, that is, that's you being, I think, very, very, very generous because obviously John's a great lad and obviously we've all played him and we've all had great games with John. So again, you've got that experience of this is a guy that will, he, he will not intentionally cheat and he's asking me a pretty genuine question. I don't want to have a feel bad moment because I appreciate my friendship with John and I want to have a good game. But yeah, you don't have to outlay your game plan to your opponent but if they ask you a question, then make mm. sure it is answered fully, I would say. And yeah, if there it, wasn't are a, any... it wasn't a game plan. It was before we even deployed. I just said, look, these are, it's a brand new unit. It's only been out three weeks. This can do this. This is the stratagem that will break the Harlequins if you don't know about play, it. play near it. And we had a cracking game that ended like 97, 93. And if my um, indirect fire had killed his last character, I actually won the game. It was that close. Yeah. Um, but without that... He would have lost a lot of units on the first turn when he come across because he'd just move away and they'd be sat in front of an admit gun line. Yeah. No, love it. Right, guys. Well, I think we're going to wrap that up, but I think we've got into some really good um, discussions and hopefully um, you guys have got a bit of an idea of how you should handle these situations. But I'm just going to end on this. If you ever say, technically, I can do this, then the answer should probably be you shouldn't do it. Just because you can technically do something doesn't mean you should. And if you ever feel uncomfortable with anything, the 
best port of call is to go get a TO. Just say, I can I'm hearing what you're saying, respect your opponent in terms of be polite to them and just say, I would like a TO's opinion on this, if that's okay with you. And you are well within your rights to do that. And when you do ask the TO, just ask an open-ended question. Don't try and lead them in any way, and no doubt you'll get a much fairer and also um, just response from the TO and also your opponent. Anything more from you two to add? No, no, I'm all good with that. Uh, I think for me, a lot of the stuff that we've discussed, I think generally across the game, that sportsmanship and fair play is uh, is always increasing and getting better um, since I've been playing for the last what two, three years now. So um, it's great to see that lots of um, that lots of improvement in sportsmanship is happening across the board. No, absolutely. yeah, you, you very you very rarely get a bad game. To be fair, yeah, very very rarely. Most games are really good. And we're talking a lot about things here which are like the grey areas that come up in friendly games, narrative games. You've probably had a game like this this week. And again, we just always want to make sure we are intentionally adhering to the rules at all times and making sure we are fair. So absolutely. And if you haven't played in a tournament, I know obviously we've got um, you know COVID restrictions at the moment around the world. But look, as soon as you can get out there, think about attending one because you'll absolutely love it and anyway guys thanks so much for listening and we'll see you guys on another episode of the competitive 40k podcast take care this podcast is brought to you by the vanguard tactics academy the only online coaching course for warhammer 40,000. at the vt academy not only do we help you win more games in the right spirit of the game we'll build confidence and we'll help you get more value and enjoyment from your hobby and take you through step-by-step guides for everything from starting your first army to tournament play to advanced tactics. Sign up at vanguardtactics.com.